Welcome to the New Birth Baptist Church Pulpit Podcast, a weekly service brought to you from the sanctuary of New Birth Baptist Church in Walnut Cove, North Carolina. We pray these messages and these sermons will be a help to you in your daily walk, and we look forward to you subscribing and coming back every day. May God bless you and have a wonderful day. So turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number one. Uh, The church of Ephesus, good church, well-to-do church, Uh, a church that um, was in a strategic location financially, commercially. Um, It was was just a good place to be. Several other churches in the area, of course, in the book of uh, the the New Testament encounters and and tells us of those books of Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, the, the churches that we know are were, were there. You can still read about the actual church of Thessalonica today, and it's still there. The area is still there. The country, the, the, the community that is Thessalonica. But you go find other churches and you find ruins. They just didn't survive. Many things happened over the, the course of our life and the life of the United States and this world and all of those churches. Um, so we know that the church of Ephesus was a real church. Uh, it was a healthy church, but it had its issues as everything else. Um, and so we need to look to them for help, look to them to, to see what God did through them and in them and by them, what he said was good, what he said was bad. Um, so we need to really pay attention to what God, God's word says about these churches. And so I encourage you to go through and read the churches, read about the churches. Um, Slow down and read about the churches. Spend time listening to what God's Word has to say. And so here we go, Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What a reminder. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Boy, there's a charge. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. This has nothing to do with the soul. This has to do with our adoption. This has to do with our ability to be adopted in. He set it in place well before we were ever born. That's the predestinated part, the plan, not the person. It says here in verse 6, To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted into the, in the Beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, boy, that's a mouthful, but there's coming a day, a period of time, And that's what he's saying, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Everything is scattered right now. Everything is all over the place right now. People are scattered all over the world. Christians are are scattered around the world. 
The Jewish people are scattered around the world. There's disunity in the world right now. There is dysfunction in the world right now. There is no togetherness in a sense. And so we're fighting in a sense to stay together as a family, as a church, as a community, and as a country. Think about that. We're fighting to stay together. We're fighting to stay one. And it's not working real well right now. Why? You've heard the phrase, there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Too many leaders, not enough followers. You can't have but so many in charge and it's going to start getting out of order. God predicted this. Well, I shouldn't say God predicted. God knew, God foretold, God prophesied through the book of Daniel that the fall of human government would take place, that it would no longer be a, a unified structure, and it was divided, and it divided, and it divided, and it rain, remains divided today. How many countries are there? Well, there's that many leaders, in a sense. I know that some countries and, and, and properties and, and areas are controlled by one particular government, so there's not necessarily one leader per country. But I want you to know that one of these days, this divided world, this the divided countries, these divided uh, communities. One of these days, Christ is going to come and make it right again. In a particular time, it says, the dispensation of the fullness of time, when it all comes to a close, it says, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. Nothing will be left out in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, in whom, that's Christ, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. I'll come back to that. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption, until the, until the redemption. See, we're not quite there yet. We have been purchased. God has put the down payment on through the blood and the cross of Calvary and His Son, Jesus Christ. And one of these days, that purchased possession, it says, redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. This body will be redeemed. This earth will be redeemed. All will be redeemed because it's already been paid for. It's just He's going to take the voucher and cash it in in the body and the reign of Jesus Christ. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what, he, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the, in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power, to usward who believe according to the working of his unity, uh, his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ. It's all about Christ. When he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the, the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. 
I read a lot this morning, but that's okay. That's Ephesians chapter 1. There's only six chapters. You can see how, it's gonna, how, how um, little time it takes to actually read a whole chapter in the Bible. But once you read it, now you've got to think about it. So this is, the, this is the introduction of a letter to the church of Ephesus written by Paul. Now, back in the, in the, in the book of uh, Acts, Acts is kind of the uh, book of Chronicles uh, when it comes to the New Testament. It uh, lays out the history and the development and the progression and the woes and the good of the church. In chapter 20, Paul is on his mission trip. Uh, he goes to different places. He starts off by saying that, um, and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto his disciples and embraced them and departed to go unto Macedonia. And then it says in verse 4, and there accompanied him into Asia. And then it goes on, these going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came into them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. He keeps going. He's traveling. He's moving. He's, he's spreading the gospel and helping churches. And he gets to, to Ephesus. I want you to see here in verse number 25. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Paul is looking at all that he has. This is, this is Acts chapter 20. He's saying, I got to go. Wherefore, I take you to the record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto the, yourselves and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath, Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Goes back to what Ephesians says, that there was a purchase made. And he is reminding once again, here in Ephesus, that there's a need. He says, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul says when he leaves, the, the wolves will come in. I think this is an important message to a church that, it needs a pastor. It needs a leader. It needs somebody tending to the flock to try to hold back those wolves. And so the church of Ephesus knew that it, there was a time coming that challenges would be before them. They would run into issues. We'll get to those here in a minute, the main one. They would have to make sure that their focus remained where it needed to because these wolves are not necessarily uh, the most villainous or the most attacking, but they're most deceiving and coercion, coercion that takes place. And so they, they sneak into the, to the, to the family. They sneak into the church. They sneak into the community. They, they sort of begin to manipulate the financial system, the commercial system. And all of a sudden, they think they're doing right, but their focus has become outward from the church, not inward meaning that it's no longer about the church. It's about them. It's about the community. It's about what they have. And so he's warning them that things are going to happen, that they're going to have to really pay attention to. Verse 30, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He says in verse 31 to the church of Ephesus, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. 
And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the, unto the ship. Paul wants to give the church of Ephesus a little help. Way back in verse 16, it says that he sailed there. Verse 17, it says that he called the elders of the church. He had something to say to them. The book of Ephesians, I believe, is a record of a lot of what he said to them. Um, so Paul is warning. He tells them how to be saved. He tells the church that now your job is to take what I've given you and to keep it in remembrance and to give it out, to give it away. So to take Ephesians 2, chapter 8, verses 9, Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He tells us to take that, to take the basics of Christ being the foundation, Christ being the down payment, Christ being the inheritance, the source of the inheritance, Christ being the leader, Christ being the all in all that's going to unite one of these days. But the church, it has to stay united before that happens. But I think we're watching what the church of Ephesus saw. I think we're watching what happened to many other churches. We're seeing a dwindling. Now, in the book of Acts, in the very early churches, man, it was like boom, boom, boom. People were getting saved by the hundreds and the thousands. They were added to the church daily. But, but then it's a falling off, a dwindling away. I think most that will watch this will say that the church doesn't have as many people in it today as it did last year. And then last year, it didn't have as many in it when it had it in, in 2000. And I would say most will say the year 2000 was, was nowhere close to the, to the church volume that we saw probably in the 60s and 70s. Definitely not the volume that maybe even my grandmother and John and Ivy and some of those may have seen Miss Cat. They may have seen churches busting at the seams. But even though they're busting at the seams and they're full of people, those people have to make sure that they understand to keep the focus because people can come in, but they can bring with them their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own opinions, their own heresies and change the church if we don't watch out. So how does that not happen? Well, I'm going to say first that the church itself needs to stay on its knees. The church itself needs to stay in touch with the source of the truth, the source of the right information, the source of how we can do right in the eyes of God. So many times in the Old Testament it says, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Only a few times does it say that the king that was put into place did that which was right in the eyes of the, eyes of the king. But the problem right now we have 
is it's what Judges says. And in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Disunity. No leadership stepping up. The pastor needs to step up. The pastor needs to be one of the ones that steps up and becomes the leader. But that leader needs helpers. That leader needs followers. Just as I am following after, even Paul said to follow after his example, to follow after his testimony because Paul was following after the testimony in the life of Jesus Christ. So it's, the, it's Christ at the head. It's, it's other ministers that I look to. It's other ministers on this earth that, that counsel me. It's other men on this earth that, that help me. And then I help you. But it, it comes back. We all help each other. We all help each other stay in focus. And for the most part, I believe that all of these churches did. They had a lot of questions because the whole book hadn't been written yet. They, don't, they didn't have what we have today. They were living and then writing to help us. What the church of Ephesus went through is what the church today needs to watch and see. I'm not going to read all of Ephesians, but I want you to see that he introduced it as, as Christ being the one. He says, the, he uses words, very important words, adoption, blood, redemption, mystery, the counsel of God, your faith, your inheritance. All of these things are the focus of where Paul is looking at the church and saying, we have something special Yes, we have things on this earth, and like I said, the church of Ephesus was probably a very wealthy church. The, the, the community of Ephesus was probably very wealthy. Uh, they had the port called Heropolis, a very busy commercial area there. It had water transported, it had ground transported. It was just a, it was like a, a, a city today, a major city today. But it dwindled. Why did it dwindle? Well, we could, uh, we could point and, and cast fingers all that we want. Um, but I want you to know they were no different than you and I. They faced some of the same challenges. They faced the government breathing down their neck, trying to control them. They, they dealt with a pastor being here and then another pastor coming in here and, and uh, maybe Timothy was there. Who else was there? I don't know. But over the years, you can imagine... As long as this church was able to survive, it needed leadership, it needed help, and it needed people. And one of the things that they found out towards the end when Jesus is now talking to John, one of the things they found out is that they had been good workers. They had been maybe even good followers. Maybe they had even been good givers because of how much they had and how wealthy they were, and uh, had everything at their fingertips in, in the context of that day. And they were doing good things. And I believe we're doing good things today. I believe other churches are doing good things today. I believe there's a lot of good going on. And all the good is fine. It's perfectly fine. I would love to see everybody come through the doors of this church and, and say things are good in life. Things are good at home. Things are good in my community. Things are good in school. Things are good in the workplace. I'd love for that to happen. But I know that reality is this, that there are a lot of good things. 
There are a lot of blessings that we receive. There are a lot of good things that happen in our life and to our family. I'm going to tell you something good happened to this church this morning that I'll eventually share because God is good. So if there's any goodness in anything that we have, any goodness in anything that we are, we have to remember that our goodness, that our greatness, that our good works, the only source is the righteousness of Christ. For my righteousness is filthy rags. And so if my righteousness is filthy, my goodness can't be as good as we think it is. So our goodness has to come from the Lord. And how good he's been. How many times have I said that word? Folks, we serve a good God. And that's where we have to keep our focus. But the church of Ephesus got a little sidetracked. In, in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is writing. He's telling John to write. He's telling him to, to write these, um, these overviews of the churches. He says, here's my assessment. Here's my, um, here's what I found. Here's what I think you need to do to help fix it. And here's my promise to you. That's what he really does to these churches. And it says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. And I've said this before in this church. If Jesus sat down and, and looked at me and said, write unto the church of new birth, write, what would he say? Unto the angel, that means the messenger, which means here, I believe, the pastor of the church. So this letter is to me, but it's also to you. But I want you to consider this just for a minute as Jesus is, is inspiring John, and John is said to write unto the angel, so the pastor of the church. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he holdeth, that he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, the seven stars of the seven churches. Where are the churches? They better be in the hand of God. And it says here, seven stars in his right hand, or symbol of power. So we know that the churches are right here. Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Christ is in the middle. He's right in the middle of the seven. He says, I know thy works. There's nothing that he doesn't know about us. There's nothing we can get by on, him, on, on with him, nothing whatsoever. We, we have to realize that he's in control. He, I said, I know thy works and thy labor, working hard. And thy patience, knowing that things don't always go as, as, as planned, but, but being faithful and waiting and um, just enduring sometimes. But then it goes on and says, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. I think our church, I think many churches today are really upset at the evil that's going on in this world. And we don't like it. Uh, it, it brews anger. It brews discontentment. It brews discouragement. It, it, it brews sadness, maybe even depression. He says, I know that you're standing up against that which is evil, and that's a good thing. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. So we know that there are deceivers out there, and we, we, we know the Word of God, at least we should, 
And when we hear what they're saying, we see what they're doing. God says that this church at Ephesus had the power to discern which ones were real and which ones were not. Now, we can't do that when it comes to somebody's soul. Only you and God know the true salvation that you have, whether it's the real deal and that there was a change and there was a move in your life to, to, to be different. Only you and Christ know the answer to that question. But when it comes to false teachers, when it comes to false um, prophets, when it comes to false doctrine, you and I, we're able to discern, we're able to decipher, we're able to determine if what is being said is right or wrong, whether they're lying or telling the truth. And many times the only way that we can do that sometimes because of the cunningness the Bible uses that word that the devil himself is cunning and his demons are cunning. And it says the false prophet that's going to be coming, the, the antichrist that is going to be coming, they are very cunning. The devices that they use, the tools, it's all deception. And sometimes we have a little trouble doing that, but the only way that we can do that is because we have the power of the Holy Ghost helping us to discern. So the church needs to rely on its source of wisdom its source of knowledge, its source of understanding that it only comes from God. It comes through me maybe sometimes to you and maybe you to me, and we do it together, but we have to understand the ultimate source of the divine knowledge that is coming to us. He goes on to really lift them up again in verse number three and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. You've kept going. You've kept the faith. Church of Ephesus kept the faith, pushed on, got up and came to church when church doors were open, got up and came to the facilities when, a, when work needed to be done, got out and went and invited people to church, got out and went to revival meetings, all because the power of the Holy Ghost is living inside of you and you have a desire to, to know more and to do more. And he says, you're doing great. There's a little word in the English language that can mean one of two things. It can mean we're getting ready to um, go in a good direction or we're going into a, well, let's think about this direction. And there are other words, and we're going to see this word here in verse number four where it says, nevertheless. I can shorten that to one little word, but... Our life is the same way. We have a lot of we have a lot of buts in our life. Um, make sure you're taking that in the right context. We we would do this, but we would go there, but we would move in this direction, but all the buts in our life. I mean, they're all over the place. And see, a lot of times we talk about them in the future of what we could have done, but didn't, but didn't. And then we have the used to's where we used to do this, but now. We used to feel this way, but now. So God looks at the church of Ephesus kind of like us. We're well off. God's blessed this church. He's blessed this pastor. He's blessed the people here. 
No, we're not rich when it comes to the material things of this world, but we're, we're, we're taken care of, some better than others. But God has blessed. But, but, our focus has to remain where God says it needs to remain. Paul was on the mission journey. He went to this church more than once. He wrote letters to churches maybe more than once. Some people believe there may, be a, may have been even more than two letters to the church of Corinth instead of just First and Second Corinthians. And I would have to say probably so. I don't know how much he had to say into the church of Ephesus that's not written, but God knows what we need. He knows that in the day that we're living that it is a hustle-bustle, fast-paced world. We're here and there and everywhere. We're sliding in to the, to the place at the last minute. We're watching the clock the whole time, and we're, we're, we're busting a move to get through the doors of, of work, of school, of the doctor, of wherever. We're just all the time. Now, some of you are saying, I don't have to deal with that anymore. God bless you. I know Grandma's listening, and I know that she, she sits at home, and we call her, and we go see her, especially Mom taking the time to, to go do and to visit and to, to help and to, to do all of these things. And so, But Grandma, I want Grandma to listen for a minute. Man, I know that you're missing out. Maybe it gets lonely down there, and it gets quiet down there. But listen, let me tell you, there are people out there right now desiring to have what you have, quietness, resolve, more time to just do nothing sometimes. And so I don't doubt that the church of Ephesus, being the, the commercial center that it was and where it was at in the, in the land and what it was involved, there were people that were busy, 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 busy. And busy going to work, busy going to market, busy going to the synagogue, busy, busy, busy going here and there uh, to the ports, to the, to the, to the commercial areas, and uh, then back home. And then, of course, they, they got to go to church. They were busy at adhering to government rules. They were busy adhering to what the church wanted and needed and required of them. There was a busyness that they couldn't seem to get away from. But there are people out there today that don't have to deal with that. And I say to you, again, God bless you. But you deal with your other issues. So there's a, there's a give and take here about being too busy or not being busy enough. But this all boils down to this one word, but. I mean, we can be, we can be idle, meaning we're sitting around, not much to do, or we can be busy, 16, 18, 20 hours a day. Yesterday was a very busy day for my family, all over the place. I had more downtime than Jack and Sherry, but in the end, we were busy. Always something to do, always watching the calendar, always planning in advance to be able to get from here to there and be where we need to be on time. So there's, 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 there's all kinds, but regardless of how busy or how idle or anywhere in between, Listen to this thing. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Whether you're idle or whether you're busy, if your idle mind is not focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ and how good he's been to us 
and what he wants out of us and how he wants us to live and how he wants us to be to others, if we have lost our first love towards him and our focus is not on him, God says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. If you're the busy person all over the place, hustle and bustle, back and forth, up and down, around and around, here and there and everywhere, the devil even said when God asked him where he's been, he says, I've been all well, just about out and about, here and there and everywhere. Let's not be like the devil. He was there, here, there, and everywhere, and he wasn't focusing on God. He wasn't focusing on what God wanted. He was focusing on what God, God, God despises. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to draw people away from God. And so we draw away from the love of God by our busyness sometimes. David Jeremiah, and I'm not going to quote this appropriately, but he was talking about the husband and the wife and the home. And he says, sometimes, not quoting, but this is paraphrasing, that the devil keeps the husband and wife so busy that they can't be husband and wife. Busy, 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 busy. And so we're all in the same boat, really. Whether we're in the idle, settled, content, alone place in life, or whether we are still wide open or somewhere in between. We all have to realize that we've got to not leave our first love. No matter where we are in life, no matter where we are in our walk, no matter where we are in our, in our work, no matter where we are in anything, we cannot leave our first love who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot take our eyes or our focus off of Him. And He, he doesn't just say that you've left it and lost it. He says, I'm going to help you find it. Paul had been to Ephesus time and time again. He had even told them, as I told you in, in, in Acts chapter 20, I want you to see that one more time. Um, I want you to see Acts 20, where he told them. I mean, let me find it here. He says, Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn you, everyone, warn everyone, night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all that are sanctified. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold. He said, I won't, don't want you pay. He says in verse 29, For I know this, that after departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. He says in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He says, I want you to remember. I want you to know that you've got to stick to the right stuff. You can't turn away. No matter how busy you get or no matter how idle you become, our first love is Christ. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. We've all been in the same place before. Again, whether we're wide open or idle, whether we're 90 or 9, we all were born into sin. For the wages of sin is death. We all have that sentence passed upon us. Young, old, in between, start to finish, we all have the sentence. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. The fall took place in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And since then, we've been born after the image of Adam, not after the image of God. 
But of course, Adam was in the image of God, so we are still in the image of God yet with sin. And we know that we were fallen at a point, all of us in the same boat, and we were fallen and repent. He says, know where you were, know where you are, and there's an opportunity for you to turn away from it. Repent and do the first works. What are the first works? The first works. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt. It's all towards God. Everything we do should be done to honor Christ. Our first works are towards Him, returning to God, not turning to the things of this world. He says, first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. He's going to give us opportunity. He's giving the church opportunity today. He's given the church a chance to turn and repent and get back to the first love, to get back to the first works, to get back to the works of the cross, to get back to the, to the works of salvation after salvation, not for. He says, otherwise, you won't be useful anymore. So let's not get so idle and distracted, and let's not get so busy and distracted that we lose our focus on the first love. This is John being written to about what the church was going to be in the, in the last days and the conditions of the church then and I believe now. We have got to get back to the right place. He even reminds them again. He says, listen, he says, I know you despise sin. I know you're working hard against the, the evil things of this world. When he says, but thou hast, um, but this thou hast, thou hast hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They were a, a people of, that despised God. They were a people that despised the law. They were a people that didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I know that y'all don't, don't run with that crowd, and that's a good thing. But then he says, listen up. Listen, I stand here and, and look across empty seats, of course, today, but I see your faces, and it's, it's like a teacher standing in front of her classroom, and they get a little out of order, and she says, listen up, or he says, listen up. We had a teacher in, in high school, I think she was my eighth grade English teacher or something like that. Miss Welch had her do-right stick. I don't have a stick. I don't think I do. She had a stick, and she had a podium, uh, probably about this, this wide. didn't have this part, but about this wide, up in front of the class. Grandpa may have even built them because the, he was the carpentry teacher there. He very well may have built all those podiums. He may have even built her stick. I know that he built a lot of paddles that he gave to the teachers. But she would stand up in front of the classroom and she would be teaching. And we'd get disorder going on in the classroom. Get it distracted from where we were supposed to be focusing, where we're supposed to be listening, what we were supposed to be doing. I can see her now standing up there. 
and I can see my classmates sitting in that room and she would realize that we were out of order. She would realize that we needed to get back on focus and she would take that do-right stick and knock my keys off. And it was louder than that because it was wood on wood. It was a stick on, wooden stick on stick. And it would, I mean, it would, I mean, you could hear it all over the, the building. But why does she do that? Because we had left, left our first works. We were thinking about what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go and didn't always work right. One of the punishments of that day that is very applicable to today and to, and to the Word of God. Let me, let me, let me tell you this. This is this. God gives me these messages on Friday to an empty church that I know people may not go back and listen to, but my command has been to preach the word. Be in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Do it all. And he didn't tell me to win. Oh, I mean, he just said, said, do it. He said, if nobody else will listen, go out and preach to the trees and the animals. I'll preach till I'm done. Nobody's waiting to go home right now, but people can sure click the button and cut it off. But she had punishment associated with us not doing what we were supposed to do. Now, can you imagine, I'm going to say this, and then can you imagine me as the pastor or any other pastor, any other church leader, taking his flock and his, his sheep that God has blessed him with, the church that he is, like it said, the, the, the flock that you are the overseer of, I have that responsibility. Some people don't like that, but that's what I have been given. I'm not your boss, but I'm your overseer when it comes to your spiritual health and your spiritual walk. She used to issue punishment, sometimes to the whole class. She would say, I must not talk in class, and you got to write it a thousand times. Can you imagine if the pastor stood up in front of the church, looked at the church, because he saw they were not listening, he saw they were not paying attention, he saw they had lost their focus, that they were out there and behind this and doing this and thinking of this and, and uh, worrying about this. They, were, they had lost their first love. They had left their first love. They had not been, they're not doing the first work. Can you imagine if the pastor steps up in front of the class steps up in front of the congregation and says, I want you to go home and write the Ten Commandments a thousand times apiece. I want you to go home and I want you to write all the thou shalt nots a thousand times apiece. Why she did that was she wanted us to know that what we were doing was wrong and she put it in front of us and said, you will not do this anymore. Now, writing it a thousand times and having to be turned in the next day and, and playing sports and doing other homework and wanting to have a kid's life and all these things, that was very disruptive. But it deterred us from doing it again. So in verse number seven, he says, Class, listen up. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. 
to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Going all the way back to the beginning, God gave instructions to Adam and Eve, or you give them really to Adam. And I would hope that he passed them on. But the very thing that we're dealing with today crept into the garden, slithered in, took the Word of God and twisted it and turned it around to the opposite of what God meant it, deceived Eve into taking of the very tree that she knew she was not supposed to take from. Now, the punishment that happened after Eve took that and Adam took and ate and they realized that they were naked, the punishment after that was far worse than being told to go right, I must not talk in class a thousand times. Sin entered into mankind. And so the punishment, death. Spiritual death. Separation from God, separation eventually out of the garden, away from what we knew was right, where we should be, doing what we should be doing, saying what we should be saying, focusing on what we should be focusing on, loving God, walking with God, talking with God. They got away from that and they got focused on what they wanted, what they desired, and what they wanted to believe. But to us now, to him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the tree of life. The tree of life is Jesus. The tree of life is life eternal through the blood of the cross, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Will we see the Garden of Eden again? Maybe. Will we lay eyes on that tree? Must, must be going to, because we're going to be able to partake of it. Like a pastor said the other day at, at Southwide, he said people are asking him, is, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? And he's like, well, is the beast giving it to you? Now, don't, don't pass opinion or judgment. But if the beast is not giving it to you, then it must not be the mark of the beast. And it's the beast, one person. You, see, you hear what I'm saying? It's not, not a system. The mark of the beast is a systematic issue, but it is coming from the beast. So for us, our focus should be the Christ, the love of Christ, the works of Christ, the ways of Christ. There was enough emphasis on the, the church of Ephesus that it was included in more than one book. There was an emphasis showing that Ephesus was a good place, a lot of good things happening, a lot of good people, but their goodness was not good enough because they faltered. Because of their goodness, their internal self-awarded goodness, they thought they could do it on their own. They thought their works were, were good enough the way they were doing them because they were getting them done but they were not talking to the one that they were all about. They had become so busy or even maybe so idle that they were so distracted from what Christ wanted them to be doing that they left their first love. 
of all the things that Paul could have brought out, that John could have brought out, that Christ could have brought out, all the things that could have been said to the church about what they were doing wrong, what they needed to, to work on, what they needed to listen up about. The very first thing he tells to the very first church in the seven churches of the book of Revelation is the love of Christ. They left their first love. They left their first love of Christ, of their salvation, of their call, of their eternal home, of their forgiveness, of their redemption, of their sin debt being paid. They left their first love. They forgot all about what, they forgot all about how they got there. Forgot all about it. But oh, they were getting it done, but for the wrong reason. Today, we need, we need to watch. The church needs to pay attention. It needs to know that Christ is in the midst and watching. He's given a message to the angel or the messenger. Believe me, I do not, I do not have a halo. An angel simply means messenger. And I am a pastor. I am a preacher. I am a minister. I am the messenger. You've heard the old phrase, don't shoot the messenger. Please don't. If this hits home to you, good. If it bounces off, check up. Because the message is from the Lord. The message is from the Word of God. The message is from Christ himself to the church of Ephesus. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the church, what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Don't leave your first love. Mm -hmm.